Hey folks, Sam Jones here. Welcome to another edition of Off Camera and our first episode of 2019. I'm really happy to be back and to be able to keep doing this show. And we have an incredible lineup of guests coming up for you guys. And I just want to thank every one of you for tuning in all the time. And I usually say a lot of this stuff at the end, but I want to take a minute here at the beginning and acknowledge everyone that works on this show. Crawford Shippey, Nathan Shields, Michaela Galvin, Sasha Snow, Kara Johnson, and Matt Davidson, who all help us do this show each week. And without their hard work, none of it would be possible. And if you're loving it, take a minute and go on social media and talk about the show. Share the word with people. Help people find us. There's a couple ways you can do that. I am Sam Jones on Twitter and Sam Jones Pictures on Instagram. And the show is Off Camera Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So if you like what you're hearing and want to talk about it, or if you want to suggest a guest, or just share something about the show, then reach out on social media and share it with the world. The other thing you can do if you're new to our show is go to iTunes and subscribe so you get this show in your feed every week. And when you do that, take a minute, leave us a rating and a review. That helps more people find our show. As you might know, we are also a television show and a magazine. So if you're loving listening to this show and you haven't seen the television show, go to offcamera.com and check out the many ways to watch all of our archived editions. We've made over 175 episodes at this point, and there's a whole wealth of knowledge from the wisest, most iconic, most creative people in this industry. So it's pretty fun to go back through the archives and check that out. Also, before we get started, I also want to acknowledge that this show gets a lot of emails from listeners, and it's a fascinating and humbling thing to hear that the show means something to so many people out there. I hear from retired teachers and aspiring young actors and musicians and authors and so many different people trying to make their way and find their own unique path. And it is such a great thing to have this little community of people who love the arts. And you know, growing up, I listened to a lot of radio and radio was my late night companion after I turned the lights out and I was supposed to be asleep. And I would love it when people called in or wrote in to the host of the radio show because it felt like a community and it felt like some larger world I was a part of. And it's exciting for me to do this show and know that I'm somehow helping to create a little community that people can feel a part of and people can feel a little less like they're in a vacuum or in a bubble. You know, one of the things I'm most grateful for on this show is I get to sit down and pick the brains of the most forward-thinking, innovative, creative, vulnerable, and iconic artists of our time. It's such a privilege and a pleasure to have these conversations and to know that by sharing them through this show that you all can be a part of that too. And it's exciting to think of my 10-year-old self, 15-year-old self laying in bed, wanting so badly to be part of a larger creative world and not knowing how to do it and not knowing anybody or anything, but wanting so bad to be a part of that. And now I get to do this show and I get to share that world with people who are probably just like me a long time ago in my bubble wondering how to make it and navigate this crazy artistic path. So I'm happy to be back and I feel lucky to do the show. And I want to thank you all for tuning in each week and for sharing off camera with your friends. I want to read one email before we get to our guest from a listener that I will call Jerry. And I want to read it to you because not only did it really sort of stop me in my tracks, but it also makes me realize that the struggle is real for anyone trying to make it in any aspect of the arts. And that's a world where you have to face yourself and face your fears and your shortcomings. And I, I think everyone that's come on this show has had to do that at one point in their lives. So when I read these emails, I'm always wondering, is someone like this going to become the next someone that we all know and we get to see them in the process of reaching their dreams? Anyway, this is from Jerry. Hi, Sam. I'm a fan of your show and since I was little, I've been in love with the arts. Movies, television, music, any and every aspect of it. I've always been obsessed with everything that goes on behind the scenes as well. I love the interviews, the special features, reading about the process of creating these things, all of it. I've grown up in small towns in Texas where most people don't have interest in that kind of thing. I've always been the weird guy who would tell his friends, Oh man, this movie is by this director who also made this movie. Or, this is from the same guy who wrote that show we love. Unfortunately, bringing this up was usually met by blank stares and comments such as, I don't know who any of those people are, 
or you take that stuff way too seriously. Your show is the epitome of my interests. You have real conversations with these people. They are fascinating and inspiring. I am someone who has unfortunately never followed their dreams. I've always felt I would be happy to be in any single part of the business as long as I was part of it. I turned 30 this year, which of course just brings to light the time I've wasted and the dreams I've ignored. In the last year, I've finally admitted to myself that I've been plagued by anxiety and depression for as long as I can remember. I've spent more time imagining a life than living one. In the midst of this reflecting, I left a job four months ago that has been killing my soul for years. And during the time I've been jobless, I've listened to a majority of your episodes, and I can't even begin to describe how cathartic it is for me. Hearing about these people, their struggles, and achieving their dreams, it's just something I can't get enough of. I just wanted to say thank you for what you do. It is real, unique, and is interesting, and it helps remind me that there's so many others out there who find these things fascinating as well. Thank you. So I just want to say to this person, thank you for writing, for sharing your story with me, And as a person who's quite a bit older than 30, I will tell you that as old as you feel, you are still so young and there's no time like the present to start chasing what you really want to do. And it could be demoralizing when no one around you shares your passion. But if you love something, then you will always be happiest trying to do that thing you love. So I, for one, hope that quitting your job and getting your soul back is a step in the right direction. And I wish you all the luck in the world. And now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey folks, Sam Jones here. Welcome to another edition of Off Camera, the show where I get to talk to iconic, creative, curious artists and find out how they got that way. And in this episode, I sit down with actress Darcy Carden. You may know Darcy as the lovable, all-knowing, not-quite-robot, not-quite-human entity, Janet on The Good Place. And while she may not know everything in real life, she certainly knew she wanted to act from the moment she saw her father in a local production of Thornton Wilder's Our Town. By the time she was nine, Darcy had her mind set on professional child acting, and she tried to make a case to her father. But he didn't buy her I-can-handle-it argument, and instead her parents forced her to pursue acting at school until she graduated. It was a compromise she didn't want to make. You're ruining my life, was Darcy's initial reaction. But in retrospect, she wouldn't have it any other way, proving that sometimes parents do know what's best. That last line was directed towards my children. The struggle started soon after she graduated from college and moved to New York City to conquer Broadway. I shared a two-bedroom apartment with four, sometimes five people, explains Darcy. I never had a dollar in New York, and I lived there for 10 years. I kept auditioning, but I quickly realized it's not going to happen right now. What the hell do I do? But through it all, she still tried to make a career out of acting, taking any job she could get, which often felt less like acting and more like acting adjacent. This included being a temp, a waitress, a nanny, an extra, and even a tour guide. But then Darcy got invited to see an Upright Citizens Brigade improv show, and she immediately knew she was home. As she describes it, I was sitting in the front row at UCB's ASCAT show, and the cast was Amy Poehler, Seth Meyers, Jason Mansukas, and Rob Riggle. An incredible cast. And something electric happened. It was this weird religious moment where everything came together and revealed the clearest path. She realized, I don't care what I do for the rest of my life. I want that. I want to be on stage with those people. Darcy immediately started taking improv classes and discovered her authentic self by risking failure night after night. Over time, she moved up the ladder at UCB, which ultimately opened up opportunities for television work, including her big break on Comedy Central's Broad City. These days, she's stealing the show on two critically acclaimed television series, NBC's The Good Place and HBO's Barry. It turns out that nine-year-old Darcy was right. She really can handle the life of an actor. Darcy joins off-camera to talk about the secret mantra that keeps her confidence going, the college professor who told her she wasn't dark enough to be a real actor, and why you should always be nice to the interns at UCB. So pull up a chair and listen in. Darcy? Hi, Sam. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. You know... I wish you had those powers in real life I because understand. I could really use a sandwich right now. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> like, wouldn't that be great? Like, if I just said, how many feet of toenails have I grown in my entire life? Ew! And you could tell me. Yeah, I would. I would. I would not want to know that. But I would like other quality, other Janet qualities. Oh yeah. I would like. Um, I don't. I would. 
I don't like shopping, and it would be so nice to just be like, I need yes. a new outfit today. Or, um, yeah, anything you want to eat not without having to go to the place. Really good concert tickets. Yes. Yeah. Well, do you know that you are on TV in our house all the time now because my daughters love The Good Place? That is so wild. And they love you specifically. There is something like sort of childlike about Janet, I think, which maybe is why kids really... There's maybe a little Pied Piper yeah, thing going yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. They're like... We get her. I know. We don't understand all these weird right, right. sexual references, Going but right we understand her. her. Yeah, because she doesn't either. Um, I, I, I know. It's a funny thing. Like, my, my husband the other day was saying there's something like Mickey Mouse-ish about Janet. It's like the the costume, and there it, it's there's something that a kid can really, like, latch on to. It's yeah. like Mickey Mouse. And the way you show up. Right. It's very uh, Scooby-Doo, you know? Yes. It's like, yeah. So I, I get, I, I'm very happily, like, surprised, but I get it that kids are... Are into that. Well, the show's a phenomenon, and it's in its third season, and I want to get all into that. But I thought I would start with the way we met. Mm-hmm. Which I was going to ask you if you remember. Yeah, we met in the green room at Larry King. <laughs> the normal way. <laughs> yeah, the normal way people meet yeah. is when the interviewing legend calls you to come be on his show. And that was your first time. First time, yeah, absolutely. I was like, why does Larry King want to talk to me? Do totally. It was weird, right? Yeah, it was. And then you come out there and you sit with Larry, and. He's as old as the hills, you know, mm-hmm. and you realize this guy has interviewed, you know, Paul McCartney yeah. and President Obama totally. and President Lincoln. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's been around forever. Yes. And I'm like, what keeps this guy going to work? Yeah. Like, it must be his identity. I know that when people that age, you said as old as the hills. I think yeah. that's the technical term. <laughs> and the hills are old. They're old. Yeah. But it is like, what is the thing that drives them? I wonder, too, for myself, when, when I, you know, am as old as those hills, will I want to have a break or will I, will it be like, you know, you, there's, I know there's like, especially in the entertainment business, like you want to stay relevant and you, it's like, you, you got to keep making in order for people to kind of say, I saw the thing or I watched right, the thing right. or I heard the thing. So I wonder if it's like a, if, it, if that's just his like comfort space or if he's like, gotta keep, gotta keep doing it, churn it out. I know. Because or maybe it's like, if I stop doing this, what? I don't exist. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I totally get that. Could you see acting in your 80s? I could. I, yeah. tot- I, I, I like can't not, if that makes sense. I wanted to be an actor basically before I can remember, but since I was a little tiny kid. And then I'm like very level-headed and down-to-earth and normal which would make you think that I would at some point be like, oh, but now drop it and get like a real job. But I never did that. I never, through all the no's and all the rejection, I never had the thing that's the smart thing that people have, which is like, figure out something else also. Right. I, I, I was, I don't know if it's just that I love it too much. I think that's it. I fucking love acting. I love it. I need it. I got to do it. I love it so much. And so the idea of like doing it into my 80s, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Please let me, yeah. Totally, yeah. Well, you say you love it for as long as you can remember. Do you have any recollection of the thing? Kind of. You do? Yeah. There's a couple things. One is just your basic, you go to a kid's play or you go to the ballet or you go to whatever. Something where there's someone on stage and and it would just like take over my body and brain. I was obsessed with whoever was on stage. I wanted to be there. For the next like hour or two after it was over, I sort of imagined, I was like in my own little world of like, now I'm a ballerina or whatever it was. I just, there was something about being on the stage that was so uh, uh, attractive to me. I needed it. I didn't know how to do it, but I wanted to do it. And then I do remember my dad was in a church play version of Our Town. You know, I was in Our Town. Who were you? The narrator? I was the brother who had like one line, which (laughs) is, I think it was, but Ma, I have to learn all about Canada by 10 o'clock. Okay, you still know it. I Well, I had one line. <laughs> but I got in big trouble. Because Why? the way that our production was staged, the whole third act, you know the graveyard scene, right. right? They had all of us that were dead sitting in chairs. And I had a piece of gum. No, yeah, you're dead. I was dead. <laughs> but I was chewing gum. And I came off after opening night and the drama teacher, it was just livid with me that I was having gum. And was but it was like, a long, it was a yeah, long Yeah, you need to do something. Yeah. Truly, you need to do I something. I mean, I was a 15-year-old yeah. boy. Right. Am I going to sit still for that long? I was going to say, the fact that it was only gum is like, you, you should be I applauded know, right? for that. 
I um I remember my slipping a flask. Yeah, out of yeah, my exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like how, you have a little Game Boy or something. yeah, exactly. You know what it would have been back then is that football thing yes. where the little dot goes beep, ding, beep. ding. Yep. <laughs> but anyway, I remember going night after night. I sat in the front row or even like on the ground, and there was something about like these people that I knew in real life are now on stage playing people that I don't know, and it there was just something so. Uh, it was like a magnet. Like I, I can't explain it in a very good way other than it was like, I need it. I need it. That's how I felt. I was like, when can I do that? I need to do that now. And your dad was, uh, he started BAM Magazine, right? Sam! I know, you well. some research. Well, here's the thing. Okay. I, BAM Magazine was like a reading staple for me because I was in a band in the late 80s, the early 90s in LA. Oh my and God. you had to get BAM because you could find like, used equipment, yeah. you could find a drummer, you like found out where to send your demo tape. Oh, I love this so much. And it was surprised me that it was a Northern California magazine. Right. Because it was such a Southern California staple. Right. But the LA office came later. Right. Um, I, I mean, think, I know the LA office. After it got office. successful. I remember the LA office because we lived in the Bay Area, but in the summers we would move to LA and my dad would work at the LA office. Oh, really? We would move to, do you remember the Oakwood, uh, the Oakwoods? Isn't that where all the actors live? Yeah, it's like yeah. extended stay and it's all furnished and everything. So it was easy for my mom and dad with four kids to just move into this thing. And what we didn't know is that it was filled with child actors from like all over the country with like their one parent that, you know, they'd like leave the rest right. of their family at home and come stay at the Oakwoods until they, you know, made it or, or not made it. Um, so I was sort of, in the summer, I'd be surrounded by like working child actors, but I wanted to be doing that. And I, I remember having like a really kind of straightforward conversation with my dad because I, I would make friends with these kids because kids make friends. Right. And they would be like, come to this audition or come, this is what I'm doing today or this is what I'm doing next week. And I remember <laughs> like sitting down with my dad. Truly, I remember we were like eating donuts and I said, I can handle it. I promise you. How old were you? Like maybe nine or ten. Being like, I, I get it. It's hard. There's you got rejection. like powdered sugar all yeah, over your yeah, face. Totally. You're telling just like jelly squished <laughs> down my shirt. But being like, I, I get that it's hard, and for some people, it would be, um, you know, too much for them to take. But I promise, I can handle the rejection. I can handle it. And he he was like, No, you can't. They decided, you can act in plays. You can take acting classes, but Nothing, you know, basically for money until you're in out of out of high school. Yeah, which was truly, I was like, you're you're ruining my life, <laughs> you're killing me. But yeah. it's so funny you, looking back on the thing that you wanted to do in the moment that you couldn't do. You just think like, oh, thank God it happened that way. Even right. though I was desperate for it, or I thought it was ruining my chances or life or career or whatever because I couldn't do it at that moment. You look back on it and you're like, oh no, that was right. Yeah. That was the right thing, because now I'm here. Because it happened. It right. worked. Right. Right? And I guess if Now, we maybe were, if you're in the gutter, right. <laughs> you'll be like, damn coming it. Coming from a, pr a <laughs> real place of privilege here, being like on a nice set saying like, oh, it worked. But yes, of <laughs> course, it doesn't always work. But I definitely had so many moments throughout my life where I was like, oh, that was it. And I missed it. Or that was my one opportunity or whatever. And then looking back, it's like, oh, no. It took a while and I took my time and... Other friends, you know, did it faster, but I'm, I'm okay with how it went. You know, it's funny because uh, thinking about the fact that your dad started this magazine, I mean, what I'm doing right now with this show probably isn't that dissimilar in terms of your POV of BAM magazine yeah. was, oh, my dad didn't go get a normal job. Right. He just started his own thing. Right. I mean, he, like, he was... A musician but also a businessman and like you know an entrepreneur and and it was a hard uh kind of confusing thing to explain to people what my dad did but i like loved it it was our identity as a family we called yeah, ourselves well, yeah. the bam fam you did <laughs> yeah <laughs> my mom's license plate said bam fam that is so that's funny. cute that's well cute. i wonder what like what rubbed off on you in terms of looking at the life your parents chose to mm -hmm. lead. Like, from the beginning, you didn't see them having bosses. Right, right. And, and you saw them probably loving what they did. Yeah, that is, yeah, that's a big one. And also deciding what they were going to do, right? It was like, that's part, I mean, part of not having a boss and everything is my dad was like, well, I want to do this, so I'm going to do that. So I think there was a part of me that was like, well, I want to do 
acting, so I'm going to do that. You know? Were there people that tried to talk you out of it? There were, in, uh, but maybe not in like the typical way. My parents were so supportive, 100%. Family, you know, extended family, everybody would always come see plays and stuff, so it wasn't really about that. It's more like once I majored in college, majored in acting in college, and it's like once you start doing it where you're, where you're basically saying like, I want to do this for real. Right. And I loved it, but it was hard. It's a lot of... Uh, to their credit, it's a lot of them, meaning the school and the professors and everybody, saying it probably isn't going to work out for you, for anyone. Right. So be aware of that. Like, the, the odds are not in your favor. Also, I mean, I don't think I was the... How do I explain this? I remember a professor saying <laughs> something along the lines of, like, what she was basically saying is, like, you're nice... And you're fun to be around, but you, it's not that she said I wasn't a good actor. How did she put it? She was kind of like, you're not dark enough to be a good actor. She's like, you're, you'll always like get cast in a play because you're like a good time. But she was like, this is not for you. (laughs) She was like, leave it to the serious people. Yes, totally, totally. It was, it was uh, uh, something along the lines of like, you're, you're a good cheerleader or something. And it really, when you're in like, Drama school. Was this in high school or this was, was in, this in college? In college. Oh, so that's a that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Where I where where then I was kind of convinced. I mean, when a person in power, when a teacher, a professor, a boss, a director Who knows everything, yes, tells you a little thing like that. I mean, it stuck with me probably to to this day, to this moment, where I'm like, am I actually good or do they just like think I'm nice? <laughs> you know Did I what? just like? Was I just really nice? And then they said yes. So did you have that experience of putting every performance and every decision you made through that filter of I'm not dark enough? Yeah, a little bit of like, I need to prove it to her and myself and everybody obviously knows because that's how they're all feeling. They can see it. Yeah, so like, oh, I'll show them who's dark or I'll show them who's like a real actor or whatever. But also being like, but am I? Yeah, it it blew my mind a little bit. Like, I really didn't know uh, what to do with it. And, And also was in a like kind of competitive program in in college and any success that I had had up to that point she just like negated it with that comment you know what I mean like and anytime I had gotten to the next level or gotten into this play or whatever it was whatever little successes I could kind of go like okay I'm on the right track I'm on the right track with that simple thing that she said which wasn't even necessarily like an insult she was just sort of saying how she felt I was like oh well then None of this means anything, sort of. Like, I, I right. maybe just am pleasant, and, and, but my acting has nothing to do with it or something. It, it really definitely put me in my, my head as an actor for a long time. It still does. What is acting? <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? Well, okay, so, yeah. so you, you finished school and you moved to New York, right? Yeah. And what was your naive, like, mm-hmm. expectation or plan? I'm going to go to New York, and yeah. what's going to happen? Great question. I... I think it was something along the lines of Broadway, right? Because that's why you go to New York, Okay. I think. So it wasn't like comedy specifically? It was not at all. The idea of doing comedy, it wasn't on the forefront. I, I, didn't, I didn't point to it and say, like, that's what I want to do. Looking back, I'm, I'm seeing, okay, I, I did always get cast as the funny old lady or the funny prostitute or the funny what? You know what I mean? I mean they are funny. <laughs> they are funny. <laughs> um, I could always see, like, oh, I, I see, now I see. But at the time, I, I didn't think of myself as, like, the comedian or whatever. And I, and I went to New York, and did you live in New York? Briefly, Okay. yeah. It's overwhelming. It is overwhelming it's, and expensive. Yes, it's so expensive, and you're so poor there, yes. unless you're not. But, whew, I was <laughs> so poor. I was, too. Oh, my God. I shared a, a two-bedroom apartment with four people, sometimes five. Really? Yeah. I never had a dollar in New York. I lived there for 10 years, and it was always like, <sighs> um, I auditioned for things and sort of just tried to be realistic about my friends that I had done musicals with. Sometimes I would do like summer plays and do musicals, and most of them were doing Broadway stuff. So when I came to New York, I was kind of like, I'm going to do what those actor friends are doing. But they were they were really, you know, super talented singers and dancers, could be the lead of any musical, and they were you know, fifth row guy on the left ensemble. In the chorus. Yeah, exactly. Which also is amazing and and honorable and and everything. But I was like, but I'm not even good at 
I'm not even that good. And he's in the fifth row. So like, when you move there, you didn't put the numbers together. No. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what... I w- I don't know what the reality was. I was. I just knew I had to get there. Right. But I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I. I think I moved to New York to be on on Broadway or in plays. Quickly realized I don't think that's going to happen right now. What the hell do I do? Did you have an agent or anyone helping no. you? No. You were just. You just moved there. Oh yeah. What an was agent. the first job you uh, got in New York? Oh, temp. I was a temp for many years. You were. And I hated it. I hated it. I hated it so much. I mean, the thing I liked about it is that you didn't have to, like, commit to anything. You just would show up one day or you'd show up one week or whatever. But people treat you like shit and you don't know what you're doing. And and I remember having to always wear, like, little suits, like little business suits and just feeling like an imposter. I remember one temp job. I had been there, I think, for a couple weeks. And on my last day, I, I decided to leave my suit jacket in the closet. At the at the office, it's like a just being like, I I never want to wear this again. I need to move on, whatever that means, to be a waitress or to be a babysitter or something. But I was like, this this office life is not for me. Until a week later, you're back there. <laughs> back. Can I have- please? I beg you. Did someone take my suit jacket from <laughs> wherever? I'm like I know, Burlington Coat Factory or something like that. So how would you get auditions if you didn't have? Any help? There was Backstage Magazine. Okay. That it was, was like the one. BAM magazine. Yes, it of, totally was. Yeah. It totally was. Yeah, the BAM magazine of the acting world. So it would be the what like classified. I mean, it would just be like all these auditions. Right. And it would describe the character and you would show up and there would be one million other people and you would never get the job. So you were just like, you had no help. You didn't have an aunt. You didn't have anybody. Didn't have an aunt. I mean, have an aunt, but they're all librarians. Um, <laughs> Truly. They're um, like, I can help you find yes, a book a about book, the yeah, Civil War. That'll help you with. I'll help you not find an agent. it. Yeah. I remember like what felt you know, sometimes the things that feel like big breaks, you looking back on them, they clearly weren't. Or even in the moment, you're like, oh, this isn't I rem- okay. I remember my roommate and I, Summer Day Ross, a friend from college. Her name was Summer, Summer Day. Summer Day. Uh-huh. And we um we got from a backstage uh, I want to say audition in quotes, whatever it was, a, a backstage listing. We went to this audition, which was really just literally sitting in an office with a bunch of other people. There was no audition required. They just looked us up and down, and they they said, they they were like, you're in, which means you are cast as what turned out to be just a cattle call. A, I mean, like a like a the most extra that you could be, the most background that you could be. In a, in a, like a sea of hundreds. Was it Independence Day and you were running from a... It wasn't a, that. It was... A, um, a tsunami? It was basically that. It was the movie School of Rock. Oh, yeah. Great movie. And at the end, they do this big concert, and it's just one of the concerts. So oh, yeah. it, you're, it, right. you're in a concert, like you're one of hundreds, in the if dark. not a thousand people, <laughs> just taking up space. Yeah. These days, they would probably like CGI the bodies, not, right. not even waste time with the actual people. Um, but it was like... Holy shit, we're going to be in a movie. We were so excited. Jack Black was going to be in it. Like, you know, it's just one of those days on set where you're like, this is it. This is our first big step. This is the moment. And, and it, then they take you to extras holding. And, and you're like. Yes. And it's, you're with people that you maybe don't want to be with. And you're, you see quickly that you are a cow in, a, in a, a bunch of cows. You're just a big old group of cattle. And they're like, move that way. Now move this way. Don't do anything. <laughs> don't yes, do don't anything. touch anything. Yes. Don't go anywhere. Yeah. And and uh, I think there was it was two or three days, and I, I do remember on the last day we woke up, you know, at six in the morning or whatever, and we were like, let's not go, let's not go. This is not worth it. We were we were, took some some pride in ourselves, <laughs> and we were like, we're better than this. Well, I was watching uh, you on Seth Meyers, and he he found a picture yes. of you in the background at Saturday Night this Live. This is another yeah. It seems like you didn't get to skip any steps, <laughs> yeah. like in, in your march to You're being. You're so right. And, and there is this invisible wall between the actors and the extras. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the extras aren't aware that it's there, or at least at first. Yeah. But I was curious if doing some of that extra work made you feel closer to your dream or farther away. It, it, both. Yes, that is so true. Because you're like the the SNL one, I think in particular, because then it's like 
this is something that I love. I love SNL. I love the people of SNL. I love, it's like what I, you know, it's, I was obsessed with it every, every season of every year of my life. It went from when I discovered it on. So that was another one of those auditions where it's like, it's, it, ugh, God, looking back, I'm like, what, how dare they? It was true. It was on, along the lines of like, be on SNL. So you go to this like, not exactly an audition, but sort of like a panel with some guy who's casting what you think is SNL. And you do a monologue, and then he calls some of you. Wait, so this wasn't an official Saturday Night Live audition? No, not at all. It was a f- uh, truly, it was someone, it was the guy who cast the extras. But he, he didn't say, like, it wasn't that blunt. So it was not, like, get you in the door yeah, and then explain. But I'm not, I definitely wasn't, like, naive enough to think I was about to be a cast member. But I. But it didn't feel like, they, they peppered it. it. They made it, like, spicier. Right. Yeah. So that getting to be an extra on SNL, that was another one where I was like, this is it. You do a good job, they're gonna notice you, and they're gonna say, come with us. And, and, and they would call you really last minute, and sometimes I would be out of town, or sometimes I would have, you know, like a, a, a waitress job or whatever, and I couldn't do it, and I would, my husband now, boyfriend then, Jason would like have to console me. He'd be like, that's okay, it's okay. You know, I would be like, this, that was it. They're never gonna call me again. I blew it. I, I'm blacklisted from the community. But that was another one where pretty quickly, after doing it a couple times, I was like, this is not for me. Right. I can't, uh, if I get stuck here, I'll, I'll, I think it's easier to kind of get stuck there. And I would see the actors in the cast right next to us doing what I wanted to be doing. Yeah, you're right there. And I'm a ghost to them, which I understand. They're doing their job. I don't need to like have a conversation with them. But it was, it, in my mind and brain and heart, I was like, I want. I could do that. I want to do that. Let me do that. Please, 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 please. Let me just do that. I'll just take one little step, and then I'm doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's that invisible yeah. wall of, you're here, but you're, you're not, not here. Quite invited to the party. Yeah, yeah. That's got to be hard. It is hard, especially when you think, I could be. When you have, like, I think my mom and dad, especially my dad, instilled like maybe a little bit of uh, a little too much confidence in his kids. <laughs> like, hey, if you want to do it, yeah. you just go do you it. You are the best. And who's going to stop You're great. You? And then uh, through the years and years and years of rejection and no's, then you start going like, oh, no, no, no. I'm not good. I'm clearly not good. And that person's good because that person got the thing right. that I wanted. Another example of this and another example of not skipping steps is the ride. Mm. The ride is some combination of a tourist uh, like... <laughs> Uh, like a tourist bus that goes through New York, but they put all the seats facing the window, so it stops at various street corners, and all of a sudden there are actors outside the bus, right? So you, this was your job. (laughs) Now, were you on the bus or were you out on the streets? I was on the bus. I was like the tour guide, but but even that was a character. They really, really smartly tried to sell it to us as like this is an acting job. It sounds like your formative years in New York were, were people telling you Duping this will us? be great. I and think then so. and then you end up with like, wait a minute. Yes. I thought I was an actress, but I'm Truly. a tour guy. I mean I think there's so much I think um Ted Danson, our dear Ted, always yes. says acting is embarrassing because it is. And a lot of things that you have to do, it's just embarrassing. And sometimes it's great and magical and amazing and wonderful and sometimes it's just embarrassing. And a lot of the early days stuff, it was just embarrassing. And it was, and I kind of knew that and they were. And it didn't even pay well. Right. Actually, the funny thing with the ride, I probably shouldn't say this. Oh my God, it paid so well in the beginning. It did. And then it just, they just started paying us less and less and less and less. That's not the way it's supposed to work. It was so weird. I mean, because I was in it sort of from the the day one. And, they, and I was like, I'm going to do this job forever. I've never been paid this much. And then. A month would go by, and they'd cut it, and then cut it. And Clearly, cut they it. had investor money at the 100%, start, and then they started running yes. out of runway. Yeah, oh. and then I was like, "Oh, I'm getting half as much as I got the first day. I'm out of here." Were you like, "I'm acting," or "I'm not acting"? You could convince yourself that you were acting. I was. The lucky thing was, this is like a. Uh, we haven't talked about UCB yet, but yeah, we're we gonna can. get there. Okay, so uh, so just to skip to that real quick, I lucked out with this particular job, the ride, because I was one of the first people who auditioned. And you auditioned in pairs, so my friend Tim Dunn and I auditioned, and we sort of schmoozed them into, once they sort of said, we want you guys, we said, let us help you cast the rest of it. We know so many great people at UCB, we, we, we can do this in one night. Just like, let, we'll send you a list of people and cast these people. So we 
worked with all of our friends, all of our UCB friends who just wanted a good paycheck, an easy acting job. Right. And who didn't get Carson. Yes, exactly. Some of them did, and they would be outside. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> totally. That's how determine. That's how determine whether you're yes, on the bus or truly, outside. Truly, truly, it's like if you get car sick, you're going to be a hot dog seller that then dances his <laughs> way down Broadway or whatever. So those type of jobs, like working with your friends, I, there's so much about acting that I love. I love the community of it. I love the ensembleness. I love the the as much as I love the being on stage stuff. I love the hanging out backstage stuff, and this felt very much like that it was it was there was a dressing room and we were putting on makeup and costumes it was one step closer yes and i was hanging out with a bunch of actors that i loved and respected and yeah sure we would go then on a bus and and act but uh <laughs> but it was one step closer and it was kind of like okay i can see that that this is this is something along the lines of acting <laughs> well tell me how you how you discovered ucb and more than that yeah. your first reaction to seeing what that was about and how that sort of changed you. Because okay. I get the sense that if you hadn't have discovered UCB, yeah. you might have been like, screw this. Yeah, yeah. It was. It, it came at the perfect time. I had been in New York for a couple years doing all this weird sort of auditioning, like maybe a student film here or there. Just, oh yeah, oh, all of a sudden I said that and I can like see them all in my head and I'm like, oh God, please tell me those are just buried somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Um, oh, they're so bad. But anyway, um, I was. I just felt like I was like spinning around in New York, not quite sure which direction to go. And a friend said, "We're going to go see this show Sunday night." Um, I went with her. We sat in the front row. I knew it was a comedy show. I assumed it was stand-up comedy. We sat in the front row, and it was this this show at Upright Citizens Brigade called Ascat. Have you seen yes. Ascat? Okay. Yes. And I sat in the front row. The cast was. It was like Amy Poehler. I think Seth Meyers. Jason Manzukis, Paul Shear, Jack McBrayer, Rob Riggle. Wow. It was an incredible sh- cast, which yeah. every week it was an incredible cast. But it really was something like electric happened where I was, of all the, okay, so actually, I mean, we've kind of talked about it now. Like watching Our Town as a kid, uh, uh, little like steps along the way of being like, I, I want to do that. This was the biggest one. It this was. was the one where it was like, seeing God or something like that. I was, it was like a weird sort of religious moment of like everything coming together. <laughs> I don't understand religion because that's not what religion is. But it was like everything coming together and having the most clear path and, and being like, I don't care what I do for the rest of my life. I want that. I want to be on this stage with these people and do whatever, however I can get there. That's what I got to do. More than being in movies, more than being on TV, I like sailed out of the theater, like floated and was just like, now I know what I want to do. And I went to their office the next day. This is a funny one, but Donald Glover was an intern there. Really? (laughs) And so he signed me up for class. I gave him my check. Little Donald Glover, who who was not even on a team yet, I don't think. I think he was like, you know, maybe he was beyond being a student. I don't know, but he wasn't he wasn't childish Gambino, that's for sure. Um, he was childish. Yes, yes, he was a baby. Um, but, uh, and then I started taking class like the next week and then I just never... You in the bathroom and the janitor was... Uh, yeah, I'm sure someone... I yeah. mean, truly, it, like the interns, it would be funny to see a list of the interns at UCB because I'm sure more than half of them are writing or on screen now. Right. Yeah. So then I just, uh, that was my new sort of goal in every way almost in a bad way like I, I almost had blinders on to every other aspect of my life that you life. loved it so much that that was yeah. the end game it wasn't like do yes. this but then use it totally it was really? like yeah because then you start having these little mini UCB goals where you're like I just gotta get on the sketch team I just gotta get on an improv team okay now I gotta get on a weekend team now I gotta do Ask Hat now I gotta tour it was like these little Instead of being like, I have to write a pilot or like I need to put my SNL reel together, it was like I need to, you know, get into that guy's sketch show, and and, and it became your your whole world. When you saw that initial show and and it struck you so so profoundly, were you aware also of the terror associated with the medium of improv, or, or like were you naive right. enough to not understand like what a tightrope it is to walk? You know. Why didn't that scare me? I don't know why it didn't scare me. Yeah. I, it excited me. 
And again, my dad instilled too much goddamn confidence in me as a kid because I was like, I can do that. He used to say this to me. You ready? Yeah. He used to say, you are the best. You are the king of the world. There's nobody better than you. He would say that to me and my siblings all the time. He would say it before sports games or before plays or whatever, or when we needed to like write an essay. He, if we were like feeling down, he would like rub our shoulders and be like, you are the best. You are the king of the world. There's nobody better than you. And it really like, uh, it, it, I, I believed it too much. But maybe that's what you need. Maybe. I'm not kidding that I can like hear it when I need to. I can just see you in an audition when they're like, we the don't think it's, you're like, no, wait a minute. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm the best. My, my dad, do you know Dennis Erickson? He says that I am the best. I am the king of the world. There is nobody better than me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I know that improv is terrifying. Was it ever terrifying to you? Only when I started playing with the big boys, what I consider the big boys, that then it would kind of become terrifying. Because then it, then it started being like, this is what you've been waiting for. This is your chance. This is your one shot. Do not fuck it up because you don't know how many you'll get. Right. And that's like the catch, right? Is because all you're doing is thinking like, I got to be funny. I got to be good. I got I to gotta be smart. I got to say the right thing. I'm so nervous. Oh my God, I'm on stage next to Zach Woods or whatever. But the... But that only leads to a terrible show. And, and you yes, clench up. Totally. And... Or you say something like cheesy or hacky or punchliney, or you're not listening to the f- actual funny thing that he said or weird thing and you're off on. I mean, it's so, it's, it's, it, oh, ugh, those, I mean, I can think of so many of those shows. What's the one that comes to mind that was like the worst? I remember being in a show that was something along the line, maybe it was called The Lottery or something. It was something along the lines of like what I was calling the big boys, so like the the house team players, right. and then like they would pick like one student from each level, and you okay. get to do a show with the big boys. Um, I should stop gendering it, right? Yeah, because the, well, the big boys had women in yeah, there too. Yeah, they did, but not a lot, if we're being honest. Really? Yeah. Welcome to comedy, baby. Um, <laughs> but I remember being so nervous, and I remember saying something so dirty. I guess I won't say it because it's gross. It's along the... I'm going to say it. (laughs) I said something along the lines of like... um, Wait, should I? Okay, bleep it out or just cut this part if you think it's too gross or if your kids are going to watch it. But it was something along the lines of like, I'm going to fuck that skull's... like, Like, fuck that skull in the mouth or something just dirty for the sake of being dirty. Sorry, sorry, Nate. <laughs> um, I love that it's Nate that you're worried about. <laughs> Nate's like a 31-year-old man. But it was something that didn't quite, it wasn't influenced by what the person had said. I was like, this is going to get a reaction. And it was so dirty and just like um, shock value-y. And right. the audience didn't boo me, but it felt like a boo because it wasn't a laugh and it was maybe a groan. And it was, and I, and if my husband was here, he'd tell you the same thing. We went home that night and I cried myself to sleep. You did? I did. It just was like, you know, I know better than that. I have seen people do that on stage and, and I've known that's not who I am. I, not to say that I won't go blue or, or say something dirty if it calls for it, of course. But this was just like, I'm the only girl on stage. Let's see how fucking dirty I can be. And it just felt terrible. It's the same thing as like saying a hacky joke or a punchline like a pre-written punchline to an improv show is like just right. don't do that right it felt very forced but then you know then you start to trust yourself and you put in so many millions of hours into rehearsals and shows and weird little shows where there's like more people in the group than there are in the audience and that you know that you just put in the work and then it starts becoming a little bit like um easier for sure but also you you trust yourself more and you trust the people that you're with. And, you know, um, it's like when you say, do you want to be acting until you're 80? I like want to do improv until I'm 80. Or what do you get from improv that you don't get from the day job of Barry or Good yeah. Place? It, some sort of creativity, like like barf. <laughs> and it's something that's just like, it, it, it really, um, it really, I want to say like keeps me sharp. Keeps, it's, it works for my brain a lot. I, I like I need it, I guess. And I've lucked out with the cast of Barry and with the cast of The Good Place that it's. I, I can't explain how much I've lucked out with these casts. Did you come out of improv with 
skills that that translated into the rest of your life yeah. that you didn't have before yeah. in terms of confidence or well you had confidence because oh, you were the king of the world Dennis. but but like i mean i do think you know some of our um i guess uh uh beliefs are it is like religion whoa what's religion it's like we say yes and you know it's yeah. like you accept you support you um so you end up doing that in your regular conversations yeah. i mean it's easy it, like negativity doesn't work and i don't mean negativity like you can't it's kind of a, a, a little bit of a weird line because it doesn't mean that you can't say no to something you mean negating yeah exactly you mean shutting someone down right right and saying no not that this what i said is like that never it doesn't work on stage and it certainly doesn't it, like you've been in conversations like that where where you have an idea and somebody's like no, not that. So what I was saying, and it just feels terrible. feels yeah. terrible. That's not how you work with somebody. That's not how you communicate with somebody. We, um, we always sort of like whisper, I've got your back before we go on stage, which I really like. Just like that is, that's nice. It's yeah. like, I... Well, how, how much would we love to hear that in our daily yes, life? Yes, exactly. Going Nate, into I've got meeting. your back. Hey, Nate, we've got your back. <laughs> A little thumbs up. Um, we, one, another thing that I love is this sort of like understanding that I will do everything in my power to make you look like a genius because I know you will do the same for me. So in maybe other types of comedy or maybe other types of acting, it's, I feel like I've run into this a lot where the person wants to be the star or the funny line or the get, you know, get the, whatever it is. I like, having this feeling of like, oh, no, I want to say the funny thing. They need it. Yeah, it's, we don't, we, I will set you up and you will say the funniest thing in the world and I will feel as good hearing that laugh as you do because I know that we did it together. And it doesn't, you know, and and I, I I don't know, there's, that's kind of beautiful to me that it doesn't have to be about, um, there's like a sharing, like I, I, I promise, I vow to like set you up for success because, and because I know you will do the same for me. That's like, that's lovely. Well, it, it's, some girl it is lovely. And, and it's a beautiful thing to discover in the middle of a cold, like, scary, lonely city Sam, where you are on your own trying it. to make it. Totally. And then you discover this, like, this little wonderland in the middle of it. Yeah. For someone who did it without an agent or any help and went through so many auditions, I wonder if you could put a number on your audition to booking a job ratio. Yeah, I could. What do you think I've it is? I've booked, well, I, was, I guess I was going to make a joke and say I've booked two jobs. And <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, you know, I booked so few. You audition so much. You audition every day. And by the way, if you audition every day, that's lucky. You know right, what I mean? Right. So like. Like, there were plenty of times or plenty of years or months where I wasn't auditioning every day. I wasn't auditioning every week. I wasn't auditioning every month. And that alone is rejection. Right. Because you're not even getting the audition. And then if you are lucky enough to be auditioning every day, you're getting nothing. You're getting one a year. I mean, one every six months, one every three months. I mean, it's not a lot. It's not a lot. It sucks, dude. You would have to start wondering, am I missing some essential ingredient? Yeah. Or... Is no one telling me the truth? Because also, like, that's so kind of common in the arts world or the acting world especially is, like, these people that have a dream that never make it or whatever, and and you just think, like, oh, well, that's the majority of the people, so why would I not be in the majority of the people? Did you ever get to the point where you're like, I, I think I'm going to give this up? It's a weird thing because the truth is I've never for a second, and this makes me seem crazy, had the thought, I'm going to give this up. Really? But I have had dark thoughts about it, and I have had... Like, what was the messaging at 3 a.m.? It, I mean, oof. I think it's like... Well, part of it, which is dark, is like, you can't do anything else, girl. You put all your eggs in this basket. You know what <laughs> I mean? So there were times where I was like, okay, I don't think it's going to be what you thought it was going to be. I think you you could there's other ways to do this. You could be a preschool teacher that specializes in acting. You could like direct community theater. There are ways to do it that are doing it, but it's not what you thought it was going to be. And and there were times and years where that thought was devastating and then there the older I got, I was 
getting to be more at peace with it. And in fact, like right before I got The Good Place in Barrie, I was really, really at peace with it. What do you mean? Because what you say reminded me of something I read, which you said that like desperation can ruin an audition. Yeah. that people can sort of smell that on yeah. you. And yeah, I did read something where you said that you were able to like shed yourself of all that at one point. Yeah, I have seen a lot of my friends reach like great heights of success, and and it's so exciting, and so you feel so proud, and it's it's everything. It's like you know, it's you see them have their moment. Yes, and after however many, you start going like, okay, here we go. I'm next, baby. Gotta be next yeah. to mine. Here. And then it was like, more of them, and then more of them, and then people... And then the intern. Yeah, I was gonna Donald say... Donald somebody. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, maybe the next generation below you start, then they start right. getting on TV or whatever, getting a writing job, or, and then you start going like, oh boy, this is... I'm, I missed it. I missed my chance. Sign. Yeah. And I think after years of that... I think I realized I love my life. I love my husband. I love my friends. I love my family. I'm happy. I get to work a lot. I get to do weird things. I get to like, you know, act on a thing for one day here and I get to write on a thing for a month there and I get to, you know, there's like I'm not I'm I'm not doing nothing. I'm just not anywhere near where I thought I was going to be or any any you know, I I a big one for me is like um my old two of my old great friends Abby and Alana from Broad City. Yeah. When they cast me in their show, I would I would be so excited to do my day on set or my two days on set or whatever and I would go there and then I would have the best day and then I'd realize, "Oh, they get to do this every day." This is their job. They do this every day. I do this once a month, once every six months, whatever. But I I want to do this every day. I keep thinking of that extra wall where you're one step closer. You got to go back. Right, right. You stepped over. Right. That's maybe even worse. Right, right. Oof. You know what it is? It's like for a while you're looking in the window, but then you get to go in In, for a while. But not not all the way. Go back out. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, that'll happen again. In some way or another. Yeah, like, do you right, still have those fears? Yeah, dude. <laughs> we were at the Golden Globes the other day, and I was like, don't forget a second of this, because this might be it. Might is even, like, this very likely could be it. I'm like a supporting actor, funny background type of guy, and, and sometimes it works, and sometimes you go a decade without working. So, like, I don't know what will happen. Also, all that rejection in all of those years make you real, uh, you know, real, like, uh, <laughs> sketchy and, like, very um, sort of aware that it, that it is very fleeting and could go away and will go away. And so, anyway, all that is to say, things are lovely right now, but shows aren't on the air forever. And, you know, it's, it's all, it's, this is a weird business, huh? Well, it makes you think about those people that you saw having big breaks. Yeah. And in your head, it's like, oh, now they have it made. Yeah. Well, let's talk about um, Good Place a little bit because okay. the show's obviously really original and creative. And Yay. the premise of The Good Place is obviously that uh, there's some accountant in the sky who is adding up points every time we commit a good deed. Right. We get points every time we do something bad. They get taken away. In the end, you go one place or the other. But I was curious about with this show becoming so popular and you becoming recognizable and seen and noticed and you know approached yeah. out in your daily life, I would imagine you're discovering that celebrity is a little bit like the good place <laughs> in the sense that like if you're in the produce <laughs> department and you like knock an apple on the ground, you can't just walk away. Right. That, is, that is a really good point. Do you get the sense that your actions are sort of being tabulated <laughs> yes. or, or you're aware like yeah. I can't be that's so funny I can't I, like I can't go anonymously through the world yeah anymore. has there been an adjustment yeah there has been an adjustment and I'm still sort of adjusting to it and and honestly the show has it, it does these little like chunks of growing so the first season I feel like I could go unnoticed anywhere truly like somebody would say oh can you even go to the grocery store and I'd be like what are you talking about like nobody knows who I am nobody Maybe like 
you know, some super fan of the show, but it really was like nothing changed. Okay. Then we got on Netflix and so many more people watched it. And then we just, we've had these like big sort of weird little chunks of, I don't know what, explosion of, of people watching it. And now it's just different. It's just new, you know? And you do feel like you're whatever points are being tabulated or however you want to put it. Do you, well, you, you feel watched. You feel watched, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and you can't trust an encounter right. yeah. for what it is for someone who's maybe you get the sense, oh, they know the show, but they don't want to say right, anything. Right, right. But they're being especially nice. Yeah. And you're like, are you just being nice I know. because you're nice? And then you start getting in your head about that. Like, is this waiter just lovely and nice or... Or is I mean, but then like, who cares? I guess, right? Well, but I think that that there is that that break with reality yeah. when those things happen. Where I guess I'm asking if the bottom line is it's uncomfortable when you don't when you can't read a situation. Yeah, here. yeah. Like, are you, are you having more moments of that where it, where it's just sort of uncomfortable? Yeah, it's also such a weird thing to talk about because it is. I mean, I'm trying to like be very honest here. It is like uncomfortable and awkward and weird. Yeah. But I'm not complaining and I really am not. Like this is not a surprise, right? When you get into acting, you can choose to try to get on TV and films and stuff like that and or you can do community theater forever. You're going to do the same job. You're going you're going to act in both places, but one of them is going to make people want to take your picture at the airport and one of them is not. Right? The community theater, they want to yep, take your yeah, picture? Yeah, they can't. Yeah, exactly. I mean, usually in the area, you know, because... Right. right. Um, anyway, but I, I... So I'm not complaining, and I get it, and and I I have also stopped to look at people that I've seen on TV and, and marveled at them or whatever, so I'm, I'm, I get it. But damn, dude, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. It's just weird. And... Because you're like, no one appointed the ambassador of anything, right. and and yet people are treating me that way right. a little bit. And then there's also like this little gross side of me that's like, I remember the way you treated me before I was on TV, right. and I kind of I'm I'm not like um grudgy, but I don't forget. I don't think most people do. If you if you didn't give me the time of day, or if you treated me badly, or my husband, or my people, or my my family, whatever, a certain way, and now you treat us differently. It is not gonna work for me. <laughs> I don't. I don't forget that. Um, but um, uh, yeah, it is. It's. It's a. It's a weird little. It's a weird little. It's just a weird thing to. to um, ooh, it's weird. Yeah. Am I? Am I like stuttering? No, you just weird keep saying it's weird. It's I, weird. I'm hey, getting weird, the weird, sense weird, that weird. it's weird. <laughs> Malfunction. Well, I think what also is weird is that you get this show and you're playing a robot not a robot and it, well not a robot but you're, you're, play, you're <laughs> playing like a weird uh, version of a Siri yeah. Alexa come to life who learns each year and so she becomes more emotional yeah. and more human right. and the ironic thing is that you come from UCB and loving improv so much and yes anding it seems like you couldn't take anything that you learned from there and apply it you're not playing a human being, right. so there's no yes and with Janet. I know what you mean. A big thing that I learned at UCB is to like react. I mean, that's acting 101, too. Right, you It's react. like you listen and react. And that simple thing was like, oh, no, she can't do that. Like, I, I can't be surprised by something. Again, you're in the room, but you're not <laughs> in the room. You're like, but then, I'm here. I know. <laughs> Let me. But then so quickly, they they... Expanded the character, right. in a, you know, in a way where I was like, I mean, I owe those writers my life. They have Mike Schur in the writing room, like the things they have let me do. I don't even know how to thank them. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's really a gift beyond. I I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I'll ever. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I said something to Mike the other day. That I was like, I will be saying thank you to you for the rest of our lives. The, I mean, this is like, this is all I've wanted forever is this exact thing. Literally, this, I, I couldn't have dreamed it better. What was the hardest thing about it in the beginning? I think it was to... Or, or was yeah. it harder just to be there and feel like you belonged? Belonged, yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, acting... Um, 
acting for the camera and acting on a set is so different, obviously. It's so different than acting on a stage. And it really is, it's like there are aspects of it that are the same, but it's more different than the same, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it was like getting used to things like saying something funny. Nobody can laugh because it's being, we're recording sound (laughs) and then assuming that you screwed it up for the rest of the day. Being like, well, I, the joke, I ruined it. And, and knowing that, like, well, the camera guy can't laugh because he's going to be recorded. But it, it, there's just something, like, after a decade of, of you, you say something funny, the audience laughs. You move on to the next thing. The rhythm and the, that whole thing, that, that has taken a while to sort of adjust to. That, like, right. You had a system for knowing yep, when things were working. Immediately. Yeah. Immediately. And Immediate when, feedback. Yes. And knowing when it doesn't work and knowing how to adjust. And this was more just, like, you have to trust the director and your scene partner and yourself. And that's hard, you know? Um, you know, the very last episode that I saw, you played five different <laughs> versions of yourself. I, I think it's a 22-minute episode and you have 40 minutes of screen time. <laughs> yeah. And you're all, like, it's, in, it's like, it's almost like somebody, the TV gods, is making up like, like all those time. lost years where you didn't get to do anything. <laughs> that is what and that episode is. For, yes. That's so funny. It was just somebody saying, let's give it to yeah. her. This is what she's always wanted. Remember let's just her 20s when she didn't get a goddamn thing? Yes. <laughs> We're going to let her play every role right. of every other character. <laughs> We're going to introduce a new her. Right, right, right. Yeah, that was fun. That was like... I uh, mean, We're going to let her do, like, to kick some ass. Oh, yeah. And, and, and like, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Most, like, they... It's 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 abnormal. They they're being they are. It's I don't know how to repay them. It is the nicest thing that anyone has ever I done. I don't think it is. I think they found someone who's great and talented, and they're like, she can do a whole bunch of stuff. So let's write a whole bunch of stuff for her. Uh, Come nice. on, that's you're the king really of the nice. world. Uh, I'm the king of the world. Uh, that's really nice. I mean that that uh, is very nice. I, I think it's easy to sit here and talk to someone who's open and forthright and honest about their own insecurities or their own career path um, and make that the narrative. But you were here because you're really talented and I enjoy watching you so much. I think you're great. That's so nice, dude. Yeah, no, I, I really do. That's so nice. Oh God, I think you're great too. Well, I've enjoyed talking to you very much and thank you for being so honest. Thank you for having me. This is a, a pleasure. Well, my, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Hey folks, that's our show. I hope you enjoyed that. I just loved talking to Darcy, and by the way, so did my kids. They are giant fans of The Good Place, and you should have seen them in the studio. It was like they were starstruck. And if you watch the television show version of this episode, I have to give credit where credit's due. The opening was directed and thought up by my daughter. So if you get a chance to see that, check it out. It's pretty funny. Although we'll probably get sued by NBC. If you haven't seen The Good Place yet, just go to Netflix or Hulu or wherever right now and start watching it. It's hilarious. And it's one of those shows you can watch with your whole family. And hopefully the masturbation jokes will go right over their heads. (laughs) Also, Darcy is in HBO's Barry, which is Bill Hader's show about a hitman who tries to become an actor. And that is highly entertaining, too. So check Darcy out in all of that. And check us out on the web. We're at offcamera.com. And like I said at the beginning of this show, if you want to talk about us, share us with the world, or just look pretty cool to your friends, then mention Off Camera on social media. I am Sam Jones on Twitter and Sam Jones Pictures on Instagram. And it is Off Camera Show at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also send me an email. I'm Sam at offcamera.com. And be sure to join us next time when I sit down with actor, writer, director, and podcaster, Dax Shepard. I had just come off a really long press junket. I want a week vacation. I go with a friend to Hawaii. It's just a disastrous trip. I'm sick most of the time, and I'm just hammered and doing drugs the whole time. When it's time to leave, I have a layover in San Francisco. When I get to San Francisco, I'm so physically sick that I have to go to the bar. I'm like, I have to get some alcohol down. There's no way I'll make it onto this flight to L.A. But I've been in AA at this point. 
And I have this moment where I kind of take stock of my life. I'm doing everything I had dreamt of doing for 30 years. And I am the least happy I've ever been in my life. I'm closest to not wanting to be alive. And I have every single thing on paper that I wanted. I feel grateful for this because I was able to say, oh, something much more profound is broken. You may remember his episode from a few years back on this very show, but I wanted to bring him back to discuss his meteoric rise in the world of podcasting. His show, Armchair Expert, was the breakout podcast of 2018. And by creating the show, Dax not only changed his career path radically, he also may have found his true calling. One of the things that fascinates me about Dax's show and Dax in general, is his complete willingness and even enthusiasm for airing and sharing his most shameful and embarrassing moments in public. This desire to celebrate his human frailty not only gets his guests to open up about some pretty vulnerable subject matter, but it has also created an army of armchairies who follow the show religiously and who stand up at his live shows and share their shortcomings. Maybe we need a nickname for our audience. Off Camrys? Be like, Bad Toyotas? not as catchy as arm cherries, but listen, if anyone has a thought on a good nickname for our listeners, I'm open. Send me an email, sam at offcamera.com. See you next time, off camera.